Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome back and thank you the phone number is 6025080960 i raised a question that kind of rose up organically on the show yesterday after my interview with heather mcdonald which was i kind of just thought one of the better interviews not because of me but because of her um, if you missed it you can get it at 960thepatriot.com as you can get everything we do on this show, um, if you missed it, 960thepatriot.com. Uh, but it raised the organic question because I said of her, she's one of maybe five writers, commentators, writers, thinkers that I think are are, are critical reading, must reading. If they publish, you must read them to be smart, to be uh, informed. And we never got to my two, three, four, and five, but our good friend, historian, author, critic Tevi Troy heard the show he I guess he listens uh, when he's working out or whatever and he wanted to weigh in on it and so he'll join us a little later I think in the third hour he'll join us to discuss who are the five people not only he would read today but also why we have a harder time maybe coming up with it than we used to it was an easier list to make 10 years ago uh, for a couple of reasons one and we'll do this with Tevi one uh, because a lot of those greats and giants were still alive and no longer are. Uh, we could give examples like Chris Hitch, Christopher Hitchens or maybe Irving Crystal, some others. Um, that's one. Two, sad to say, we're not making them like we used to. There's a generation of very well-educated people. Think of your best professors if you're over 50. They were part of that. Gen- they were well-educated, uh, diversely, broadly educated, uh, and, and, and thus much better thinkers, writers, analysts, analysts etc. And I think that's, that's problem too. I, I would add a third problem. And the third, it's not really a problem so much as it is an embarrassment of riches. With social media and the expansion, uh, the building of and the expansion of the internet, um, almost everyone has a voice. So, so there's which to its own degree is a good thing, but it tends to create some some form of of inflation, and 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 there's just so much more to choose from. You're well, more than welcome to contribute to this question. Uh, who are the five people? You can give me less than five. We'll build our own list here that you would always make sure to read if they put out an article, a column, uh, if they were on uh, on, a, on a television or radio interview. Bill and I always had a test that's similar to this. How good do you or how much do you respect someone uh, is is well tested by when you're flipping through the television channels. If you see them on, do you stay or do you go, or do you keep you know clicking? There are a few people you would see, and you would say, "Oh, they're on. I'll I'll stick here for a little bit and see see what they've got to say." But Heather McDonald, anyway, was was what led this off because I she she would certainly belong on my list. I I would think most conservative lists. Of when they write, you should read them. You will you will learn something new and different than um, 
than what you're getting from the rest of the corporate or the rest of the media, the rest of the din, if you will, and it will be really, really smart. Uh, she, you know, she's a good example of the problem I was talking about with the dying generation. You would think she was a uh, she was trained in criminology or something else. She's she was broadly educated by that generation of scholars that could easily easily move between ancient history and modern history and political philosophy and Eastern philosophy and Greek works and art and anthropology because they were broadly educated by serious people studying serious things and taking it all seriously. Heather herself, she has three degrees, none of them in criminology, two in, uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in English, two in English from great schools, Yale and Cambridge. That's a smart cookie and a law degree from Stanford, smart cookie. And yet she has become the go-to for the matters we go to her for, which aren't the English language, although she is obviously great at that. Okay. Anyway, if you want to call in, who, who's a writer, thinker, contributor to the public, um, to the public discussion, is a, you would consider a must-read, a must-read. Whenever they publish, you, should, um, you would want to read them. Thomas Sowell, still alive. He, I'm going to add him to the list. I'm going to have – that's my list of two right now. They, I'd like him to be alive. It's easy to do those who aren't with us anymore. Heather MacDonald and Thomas Sowell. I'll build my list with you as I think of it. I'll tell you who's a good journalist. Um, he's not necessarily on the list of five, but he's a really good journalist. He's a serious journalist. He does real journalism. You've seen him on TV. You've heard him on probably this show, many others. Byron York. You all know Byron York from the Washington Examiner, I think still a Fox News Contributor, he did the yeoman reporting that we were lamenting with Lewis Hallman yesterday doesn't exist anymore. Why is the journalist, whether they're at the um, the Arizona Republic or whether they're at the New York Times, why is the journalist not ask the common sense obvious question that you know a good journalism professor of a decade or two decades or any time before the last decade would have told them or instructed them is the kind of thing you should ask. So if you have a story, for example, about X percentage of Americans or for that matter X percentage of Republicans that um, don't believe in the legitimacy of the 2020 election, let's say, and that number is high and that's all you report because that seems to be all the reporting we've been getting outlandish number of Republicans or fill-in-the-blank percentage of Republicans don't believe the 2020 election was legitimate. And that's the story. Why are the journalists not doing the work Byron York did? And it's not hard. And I'll give it to you in a moment. But why are they not asking the obvious question? It's so obvious, it's embarrassing to them that they don't ask it. But they're not embarrassed because they have no shame. And that's maybe too hard for some of them. Maybe they just weren't instructed otherwise. Maybe they weren't. But it's so bleedingly obvious to anyone with a triple-digit IQ that you just have to wonder why they don't do it if it weren't for obvious partisan bias or just incapability of understanding basics. And it's this question. Okay, X percentage of Republicans believe the – 2020 election was illegitimate. 
How does that compare to what percentage of Democrats said that about the 2016 election? Why is that never in the story? It's never in the story. They don't think to ask it? Or could it be they don't like the answer? Or could it be history started yesterday, as Joe Biden did with the January 6th events? You have to go all the way back to the Civil War, forgetting things that happened in his lifetime at the Capitol, including the shooting of congressmen. The shooting of congressmen happened in his lifetime. He goes back to the Civil War to get you January 6th. Enormity. That's the right word, enormity, often misused. So the question is, well, how many Democrats? Well, maybe they don't like the answer. Maybe they don't like the answer. For the last year, Byron York writes, we've seen one article after another and one cable TV segment after another telling us that American democracy is in crisis. I saw a piece in the Arizona Republic just yesterday on that. The source of that crisis, we are told, is a hardcore of the Republican Party that believes the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump and that Joe Biden, therefore, is not a legitimate president. It's true, he writes, that a significant number of people do not accept the results of the election. But is that something new, as the Trump-focused analysis would have us believe? No, it is not. Yes, these days it is Republicans who doubt the results of the presidential election. But just a few years ago, it was Democrats. And it was a lot of Democrats. Now, before I get into the numbers with you, and I won't make it complicated, just we're going into a break. I just want to point out as we go to break, it's not as if these Democrats were unknown. These Democrats had names. Their names were Hillary Clinton. Their names were Nancy Pelosi. Their names were Jimmy Carter, a former president of the United States, all of whom, all of whom throughout the Trump presidency said he was an illegitimate president because illegitimately elected. We'll give you the numbers when we come back, and we'll see who doubted our processes more, Republicans or Democrats. If you read the Arizona Republic or the New York Times or just tuned in to CNN or CBS, guess what? You'd get the wrong answer. We'll be right back. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. She, she doesn't think she lost. Hillary Clinton will take that to her grave. Yet we all Republicans uh, who have our questions about the 2020s legitimacy, uh, we are we are we are to be shunned and shamed. It wasn't just Hillary Clinton. Nancy Pelosi tweeted it several times, and so did a former ex-president named Jimmy Carter, whose expertise in his ex-presidency has been what? Monitoring elections. That's what Jimmy, that's what the Carter Center is all about. Here's what he said. Not in 2017, not in 2018. This is what he said the year before the election. And I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, it would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. 
He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. There you go. There you go. But tell me that the Republicans who question this are the problem. In any event, back to Byron York, uh, Byron York's uh, journalism. Americans today have more faith in the results of the 2020 election than had faith in the results of the 2016 election. Would you know that from all these stories about democracy in peril? More people believe Biden's election was legitimate than believed at the same point in Trump's presidency that Trump's election was legitimate. Wouldn't that have been an interesting little fact to publish in all these in all these stories about the peril of democracy because there's not confidence that Joe Biden was elected, almost as if they protest, doth protest too much. Just look, Byron writes, at the latest poll from the Washington Post and the University of Maryland. The pollsters ask this simple question. Regardless of whom you supported in the 2020 election, do you think Joe Biden's election as president was legitimate or was he not legitimately elected? 69 percent of respondents said Biden's election was legitimate. 29 percent said it was not legitimate. 29 percent said not. Now, compare that to a poll from the same organization, same group with the same exact wording in October 2017, eight months into Trump's presidency, regardless of whom you supported in the 2016 election. Do you think Donald Trump's election as president was legitimate or was he not legitimately elected back then? 57 percent said Trump's election was legitimate, while 42 percent said it was not. Got it? 42 percent said not legitimate to Trump. 29 percent today say not legitimate to Biden, which means that only a few years ago, more people refused to accept the results of the election than today. In the new poll, the problem is Republicans, 58 percent of them, say Biden was not legitimately elected. But back in 2017, 67 percent of Democrats said Trump was not legitimately elected. That's a problem for the narrative, isn't it? A higher percentage of Democrats doubting the legitimacy of Donald Trump's presidency than Republicans today doubting the legitimacy of Biden's? Do you remember 24-7 commentary bemoaning the refusal of Democrats to accept the election of Donald Trump as legitimate? Do you? Neither do I. The situation in which Democrats refused to accept Trump as legitimate was far different from a few years ago when huge majority saw Barack Obama's election as legitimate, but it was reminiscent of 2001, when a significant number of Democrats said they did not view a president as having been legitimately elected back then, and it was George W. Bush. What's going on? Why is it only Republican presidents who the credible media and the elites think can be illegitimately elected without commentary, without criticism, without censure? Beginning in the middle of the 2016 race, the Hillary Clinton campaign sought to tie Trump to Russia and paint in the public's mind the idea that Russia was trying to rig the election for Donald Trump. And you will remember hearing this again and again from Nancy Pelosi throughout Donald Trump's presidency. All roads lead to Russia, or as she said, Russia, 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 Russia. 
Can anyone – I mean it was such a talking point that I don't think you can tell me one policy or one thing Donald Trump did that showed him trying to coddle favor with Russia or Putin, particularly particularly when it came to such things as Ukraine and providing arms to the Ukrainians to thwart Russia's interests and aggression something no Democratic administration had done before Donald Trump. So what did the Democrats do about that? What did they do with that fact? They tried to impeach Donald Trump on it. They tried to impeach Donald Trump on it. Think about that. Think about that. And yet you go and try and find this research Those polls are still there. The Washington Post commissioned it. It's a major news organization and outfit. It wouldn't be hard to find. You won't see it in yesterday's Arizona Republic article any more than you'll see it in any of the other hand-wringing that's going on over Republicans not taking Joe Biden's election seriously and legitimately. There's another point to make here, and it Sounds eerily like Hillary Clinton, but it kind of has merit. What difference does it make that Republicans believe that? When you say or when the media says they refuse to accept the results of the election, that's not really true, is it? It's not really true that we refuse to accept the results. None of us have left the country. None of us are breaking the law. Now, you'll say January 6th. Okay. Okay. One thousandth of one percent of Trump voters broke the law. And it was awful for eight hours. And then everyone went back to work without any kind of the incidents that we discussed the left's violence against institutions of democracy had wrought or brought whether we're talking about Bill Ayers sponsor, uh, uh, Barack Obama's sponsor, Bill Ayers, and his bragging about setting bombs at the Pentagon and the U.S. Capitol and the police headquarters of New York City, whether we're talking about the fire bombings of federal courthouses and takeovers of police precincts, whether we're talking about the Puerto Rican terrorists who shot five members of Congress, all of which happened in Joe Biden's lifetime, none of which ever gets commented on. He goes from the Civil War to January 6th. It's bad history. It may be good politics, but it's bad history. But that raises a question, too. What constitutes good politics? Is it mere victory at all costs? Is that good politics? Aristotle raises the question, what's a good man in a bad regime? What's a bad man in a good regime? What is the good man supposed to do in a bad regime? It's a, it's, a, it's a pregnant question. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. That's the original. Uh, John in Peoria, he's the original. Hi, John. Hey, sir. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. 
Always great bumper music, my friend. Always great bumper music. Thank you. That was the Silver the, Fox, right? The gen, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the Silver fo- yeah. Fox. Charlie. Yeah, you have the Charlie. Best, yeah. Don Williams. Uh, Charlie Rich is the Silver yeah, Fox. The, Don Williams is the Gentle Giant. He's the Gentle Giant. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Yeah. You know the different ones that you play from different genres and repertoires are really. Excellent. Well, thank you. I, I, there's nothing on this show that gets more criticism and praise. It's a funny thing <laughs> than my music. <laughs> <It's> the... <laughs> so, Seth, how are you? Um, I'm well. I am well, Excellent. I think. Excellent. I think. You know what? The hell with all the hand-wringing by all these lefties. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, the hell with their hand-wringing. But they shape a mindset. This is what worries me. It shapes a mindset of the vulnerable, you know. I don't know if you've had this experience, John. I, 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 this is what I wring my hands over. People of basically goodwill, maybe a little bit liberal, but, you know, maybe not always and not on everything, not totally political, maybe yeah. a lot less political than, let's say, you or I. Who, you know, in casual conversation, hear the CNN line, hear the CBS line, and just run with it. Five people, six people were killed on January 6th, don't you know? It was a, wh- it was a white supremacist organized uh, Trump-inspired action, don't you know? The vaccine that you take will protect me, don't you know? I, so it does matter at that level, doesn't it? You, you must have friends like this. That's true. They, 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 they talk about misinformation. They're the greatest spreaders of misinformation, I do believe, Seth. I mean, when you look at it, when you try to break down each one of those statements that you said, I mean, seriously, uh, they can be, be debunked, every single one. Five people uh, were killed. No, you know, some, some of them suffered uh, uh, natural deaths. Uh, well, the vast majority. I think the only one that was killed by a handgun was the uh, the one woman, the Trump supporter. What was her name? Ba- uh, ba- is it Babbitt? Ashley Babbitt, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you a question, Seth. Anything you like. All right. Are you familiar with um, the movie Edge of Darkness? Uh, it's funny that you put it that way because the, I think the answer is no, I think it's no, but sometimes people will tell me a movie's title and then they'll describe the movie. I don't remember the title, but I did see the movie. So refresh me, but it doesn't ring a bell. Okay. It starred, um, it's from 1943. It's a World War II movie. Uh, it starred Errol Flynn and Sheridan. And Walter Houston. Okay, any, any No, no, I don't think that? I've seen it. Okay. It's about uh, one town in uh, Nazi-occupied Norway and uh, how this town fought back against the Nazis against all odds. And a lot of people lost their lives. Um, but um, it's a very inspirational film. Uh, because Hollywood at that time, the entirety of Hollywood, quite liberal as you well know since the beginning, 
you know, uh, were against World War One, but when World War Two came around, uh, everybody got on board. Everybody was patriotic. Everybody knew the threat that mankind faced, and uh, Hollywood uh, uh, took up the banner and did a, a yeoman's job of, uh, you know, there's a lot of dramatizations, of course, in dramas and things like that. But the dramatization that they used when they portrayed what the Nazis did in various uh, movies was almost 100% true. Okay. That dramatization. Okay. Okay. Now, there's a term called quizzling. Are you familiar with quizzling? Yeah, very much so. What's your What's your understanding of the definition? Oh, you don't want to put me through a quiz here, John. Do you have a major point you want to make? No, okay. I'm sorry for doing that, Seth. Um, but Quisling is related to the person that was the, uh, he was the, um... Yes, he was the guy who uh, paid obeisance to the, to the Nazis after they took over his country. Yeah, and he was the president, the de facto right. president. Yes, after they took yeah. over his country. And I gotta run. Happy New Year, John. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Stevens in Phoenix. Hello, Stephen. Uh, yes, sir. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I listen to you. I also listen to uh, Carl uh, DeMilo when I'm in San Diego. I kind of work in both places. But um, just, you know, I, I feel trapped as, you know, a voter here and what I see and read, and I listen to you guys, and you guys speak wisdom, and it's hard for me to try to project <laughs> what the truth is as far as what's going on. And I don't want to sound like a tinfoil hat kind of guy or anything like that, but I just want some insight maybe on what I can do to try to just, you know, advance the truth when it comes to everything you see, because... What I see on the television, what I hear mostly on the radio, mostly on the television, and, you know, social media is just, it's just crap. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, I suppose you, you put your finger on it in a way when you said um, you're not sure what to believe, because I, be, I think that's actually the beginning of wisdom. That's actually – doubt is the beginning of wisdom. Obsta principis, my classics professor once said, beware of first impressions, beware of first uh -huh. thoughts. Uh, it's an old Latin phrase. And, and I think, I think if, if, if you take skeptically, just a, at least a little skeptically, everything you hear, whether it's from this station or a major television network, and do your own research, you have all the tools at your disposal – to find out almost uh -huh. almost anything you want about the truth of anything. What bothers me is the incurious. What bothers me are those who treat the Sunday New York Times as if it's the Bible. Uh, you've seen these people on, on airplanes and trains and elsewhere. They read it with such exquisite care that you would think they were reading a holy text. It's not a caricature. I've seen and known these people my whole life. Same with uh, the reverence some people have for CNN. I would never want that. I would never want anyone in earshot to, to think of what I say that way. I come at you with my opinion. I try and base it on 
the best facts that I can marshal and often will tell you where those facts come from. But that's not yeah, anything I, you can't yourself that. do. Yeah, you can do it too. Um, yeah. People ask well, me, how do you know how do you know what to like, for example, how do you know what to believe when it comes to online research? And they usually ask, is Wikipedia a credible source? No, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm right, right, right. I don't know if college professors accept citations to Wikipedia or not. They used not to. I don't know if they do anymore or not. No. But, but one of the handy things Wikipedia does is it does attach footnotes to almost every claim, hyperlinks and footnotes. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you can chase the stuff down. But here's the trick for most people. When you hear – Someone say five people were killed on January 6th and you hear that on MSNBC or CNN. It's it it doesn't immediately lend someone to think, is that true? Should I go check it? Why would they lie to me? You know, that's the problem. That's the problem. Or if Joe Biden says, just get vaccinated and you won't get sick. You know, people are inclined to believe the president of the United States, especially one who campaigned on the misinformation about covid of his predecessor. Right. (laughs) So so we have we have a big job here. We have a big job, which is maybe maybe not about what the right answer is, but what the right question is. Well, and that's and that's the thing is like, how do I ask the right questions? And and more importantly, how do um, how, how can I get people to think as critically perhaps as I do. I know that that's a lost cause in some respects, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm reading currently, I'm reading and I've just gone through the introduction, but I've got a whole work ahead of me as far as Robert F. Kennedy's book, uh, The Real Dr. Fauci. And it's eye-opening. And I, I've i been told before by college professors that even I, I've, I'm reading in the process as well, Mein Kampf, which was a waste of time. And to me, information is not a waste of time, regardless of the author, regardless of the content. It's for me to decide what's a waste of time or not. And so I try to fill my head with as much information as possible and to try to convey that to my friends, colleagues, whatsoever, and to be as educated as possible in making decisions, hopefully, for, a, you know, I mean, this sounds cliche, but a greater good. Well, I, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a really good approach. And, and also, whoever said you have to read things you agree with? I mean, there would have well, been no, no advance not. in civilization if everyone parroted the same line, not in science, not in philosophy, not in mathematics, not in astronomy or astrology or anything else. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's called indoctrination. Well, you it can be. The same it can be. But I would suggest that you yes. don't take everything at face value from everything you read. No, of course, right. of course, of course. Right. And that's critical thinking. And I and I try to be as critical as possible when I think about the information that I read. You know, can I say um, something controversial so, you may disagree with? Uh, I'm going to anyway. <laughs> we, no, 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 no. Please, please do. Please do. I called you for a reason. Uh, OK, <laughs> you may disagree with this. <laughs> There are a lot of great things out there on Anthony Fauci and all this mess Mm -hmm. having to do with COVID. There are also much more credible sources than Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Anthony Fauci. 
Um, I interviewed one. I've interviewed him several times, Alex Berenson. He's a former New York Times reporter. Uh-huh. You may, you look into some of the stuff Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has peddled over the years, including the innocence of Saran Sirhan. Uh, yes. And, yeah. and you just – you if if your time is limited like mine is, I don't spend much of it reading people who I just don't trust on everything else. Does that make sense? No. Absolutely. Do I want to know what they say and see? Yeah, you bet. There's value in that, of course. But if I have limited time and it's the difference between reading Anthony, uh, reading Alex Berenson, let's say, or Robert F. Kennedy, well, I've known uh-huh. Alex Berenson's work. It checks out. I've known Robert Kennedy's work on a lot of things, and it doesn't. I'm going to read Alex Berenson. Okay. Just based okay. on the economy okay. of time, if that makes sense. No, 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 absolutely. And that's and that's why I want to have this dialogue with you. Sure. It's to get some sort of direction as far as I I, I, I want to I want to be the judge of the information. Yeah. And so therefore, yes, of course, I'm going to look at the information that I agree with. But more importantly, I need to look at the information I don't agree with. Yeah, no, I I, I because- totally true. This is such an important point. Maybe you can stay with me over the break. Are you, are you able to? I'll, I'll pick up with you on the other side of this because you're asking stuff Absolutely. that is on everyone's mind. And it's a tough call. It's a tough call because, you know, we, we, we conservatives are much better versed in what the left thinks than they are in what we think. And the tragedy isn't the former it's the latter i'm glad we know what they're about i'm glad what we're open-minded and broad-minded i worry that they're not and it's interesting too when you think about it it's their lack of knowledge about us that leads to so much information being wrong about us hold the line we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We're talking to Stephen, uh, who travels sometimes between here and Phoenix, and we're talking about um, – how would you put it, Stephen? How do you know what to trust? <laughs> Where do you invest your time uh, in uh, in reading up and knowing what the other side's arguments are and knowing what ours should be, right? I mean it's a big category, but that's roughly what we're talking about, correct? No, absolutely. And And more importantly, how can I uh, convey the information yeah. and the knowledge that I have to others? I heard Dennis given, Prager, given, yeah, given censorship. I, yeah, I heard Dennis Prager say the other day, if you can get a friend to listen to his show, he was speaking in the first person. So he said, if you can get a friend to listen to this show for a week, I think he said a week. It was some distinct amount of time, roughly a week, I think he said. Sure. You can get them to listen to this show for a week um, and, and, and tell me they have the same views going in as they do after that week about conservatives, you know, I'll eat my hat kind of thing. They, <laughs> yeah. The point is this. You can, you, you, you can trust that almost any left-winger or liberal pontificating about what conservatives believe is basing it on other liberal and left-winger knowledge. True. Okay. You cannot say that about what we conservatives think liberals and leftists believe. We're basing it on okay. what they say about themselves. And okay. the, the, the tricky thing that we in talk radio face is your question comes up all the time. How do we get this out to more people or how do sure. we get to more? And, and I think 
after after all's been said and done, I've arrived at the conclusion that it's a one-on-one project. You know, I I I I will take the experts I bring on as guests and y'all who are equally expert as as callers and listeners and hope that it reaches or something is said that reaches someone else that they can use in talking with someone else. I really I really don't believe in mass change as much as I used to. I believe it's a one-on-one thing, whether it's saving an individual, saving a life, uh, changing a child or a person's or an adult's mind. And I look back at it, and that's the way mine was changed. One person took me under their wing and guided me. Um, I've been able to help a few people with a few problems. It's been one-on-one. I don't think I've been able in all my public policy work to make massive change. I've been able to help a few people here and there one-on-one. And hopefully that exponentially works out to our benefit. Does that make sense, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. It's just, you know, you almost feel powerless at some degree because, you know, of what you know and what you want others to know. And, you know, and listening to you, I mean, you're doing a great service to the the state, for that matter, and to the nation with, you know, your, your monologues. And I... You know, I I appreciate that, and I thank you for taking my phone call. No, absolutely. Call again and call me out if there's anything I say that doesn't make sense, doesn't wash, or is confusing or needs more explanation. Um, That's something we in talk radio can do that the folks at the New York Times and CNN will never do. We will take the critique. We will take the question. We will move on for further clarification. Bless you, Stephen. Thank you. We'll be right back. 